listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria Vagrida. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I invite you to head over to Facebook to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast page, and there you'll be able to share your thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria Vagrida. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 217, and we are beginning book two of volume three, it is classified Book 5, 6 of second part. I cross-referenced the next volume, and it begins with Book 7. So I will call this book Book 6 in the way in which it'll appear in how I present it every day. Today is day number 217. We are reading from Volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 1, Paragraphs 322 to 326. Book 2. The Marriage at Cana. How Most Holy Mary accompanied the Redeemer of the world in his preaching. The humility shown by the Heavenly Queen in regard to the miracles wrought by her Divine Son. The Transfiguration of the Lord. His entrance into Jerusalem. His passion and death. His triumph over Lucifer. And his demons by his death on the cross. The most sacred resurrection of the Savior. And his wonderful ascension into heaven. Chapter 1. At the request of his most blessed mother, Christ our Savior begins to manifest himself to the world by his first miracle. 3.22 The evangelist St. John, who in his first chapter mentions the calling of Nathaniel, the fifth disciple of the Lord, begins his second chapter with the words, And the third day there was a marriage at Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus also was invited and his disciples to the marriage. John 2.1 Hence it appears that the Blessed Lady was in Cana before her Most Holy Son was invited to the wedding. I was ordered by my superiors to inquire how this harmonizes with what I have said in the preceding chapter, and to ascertain what day was meant. Then I was informed that, notwithstanding the different opinions of the commentators, this history of the Queen and that of the Gospels coincided with each other, and that the course of events were as follows. Christ the Lord with the five apostles or disciples on entering Galilee, but took themselves directly to Nazareth, preaching and teaching on the way. On his journey, he tarried only a short time, but at least three days. Having arrived at Nazareth, he baptized his blessed mother, as I have related, and thereupon immediately went forth to preach with his disciples in some of the neighboring places. In the meanwhile, the blessed lady, being invited to the marriage, mentioned by the evangelist, went to Cana. For it was the marriage of some of her relatives in the fourth degree on her mother's, St. Anne's, side. 
While the great queen was in Cana, the news of the coming of the Redeemer into the world and of his having chosen some disciples had already spread. By the disposition of the Lord, who secretly ordained it for his own high ends, and through the management of his mother, he was called and invited to the wedding with his disciples. 3.23 The third day mentioned by the evangelist as the wedding of Cana is the third day of the week. And although he does not say this expressly, yet likewise, he does not say that it was the third day after the calling of the disciples or his entrance into Galilee. If he had meant this, he certainly would have been more explicit. According to the ordinary course, it was impossible that Jesus should be present at a wedding on the third day after his entering Galilee from Judea at the place where he chose his first disciples. For Cana lay within the limits of the tribe of Zebulon, near the boundary of Phoenicia, far northward from Judea and adjoining the tribe of Asher, a considerable distance from the place where the Savior entered from Judea into Galilee. If the wedding at Cana had been on the third day after the calling of the first disciples, then only two days intervened, whereas the journey from Judea to Cana required three days. Moreover, he would have had to have been near Cana in order to receive such an invitation, which would likewise require some time. Then also, in order to journey from Judea to Cana, he would have to pass through Nazareth, for Cana is nearer to the Mediterranean Sea and to the tribe of Asher, as I have said. Hence, his mother would certainly have known his coming, and therefore would have awaited his arrival, instead of going on her visit to Cana. That the evangelist does not mention the visit of the Lord to Nazareth, nor the baptism of the Blessed Lady, was not because it did not really happen, but because he and the other writers confine themselves to that which pertains to their purpose. St. John himself says that they omit to mention the many miracles performed by the Lord. See John twenty thirty, Since it was not necessary to describe all of them. From this explanation, it will be seen that this history is confirmed by the Gospels themselves and by the very passage in question. 3.24 While, therefore, the queen of the world was in Cana, her most holy son with his disciples was invited to the marriage, and as in his condescension he had brought about this invitation, he accepted it. He betook himself to this wedding in order to sanctify and confirm the state of matrimony, and in order to begin to establish the authenticity of his doctrine of the miracle which he was to perform, and of which he was to declare himself openly as the author. As he had already proclaimed himself as the teacher by admitting his disciples, it was necessary to confirm their calling and give authority to his doctrine, in order that they might receive and believe it. Hence, though he had performed other wonders in private, he had not made himself known as the author of them in public, as on this occasion. On this account, the evangelist says, This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, John 2.11. This miracle took place on the same day, on which a year ago had happened the baptism of Jesus by St. John. This day was also the anniversary of the Adoration of the Kings, and therefore the Holy Roman Church celebrates the three mysteries on one on the same day, the 6th of January. Our Lord had now completed the 13th year of his life, and had begun his 31st year 13 days before, being those from the Nativity to Epiphany. 3.25 The Master of Life entered the house of the marriage feast, saluting those present with the words, The peace of the Lord and his light be with you literally fulfilling them by his arrival. Thereupon he began to exhort 
and instruct the bridegroom concerning the perfection of holiness of his state of life. In the meanwhile, the Queen of Heaven instructed the bride in a similar manner, admonishing her in sweetest and yet most powerful words concerning her obligations. Both of the marriage couple afterwards fulfilled most perfectly the duties of their state, into which they were ushered and for which they were strengthened by the sovereigns of heaven and earth. I will not detain myself in declaring that this bridegroom was not St. John the Evangelist. It is enough to know, as I have stated in the last chapter, that St. John had come with the Savior as his disciple. The Lord had not come to this wedding in order to disapprove of matrimony, but in order to establish it anew and give it credit, sanctifying and constituting it a sacrament by his presence. Hence, he could not have had the intention of separating the two married people immediately after they entered into this union. Nor did the evangelist ever have any intention of marrying. On the contrary, our Savior, having exhorted the bridegroom and bride, added a fervent prayer addressed to the Eternal Father, in which he besought him to pour his blessings upon the institution of the propagation of the human race in the new law, and to vest this state with sacramental power to sanctify all those who would receive it worthily in his holy church. 326. The Blessed Virgin, cooperating in this work and in all others for the benefit of the human race, knew of the wishes and the prayer of her divine Son, and joined him therein, and as she took upon herself the duty of making a proper return, which is so much neglected by other men, she broke out in the canticles of praise and thanksgiving to the Lord for this benefit, and the angels at her invitation joined her in the praise of God. This, however, was known only to the Lord and Savior, who rejoiced in the wise behavior of his purest mother as much as she rejoiced in his. Then they spoke and conversed with those that came to the wedding, but always with a wisdom and gravity worthy of themselves and with a view of enlightening the hearts of all that were present. The most prudent lady spoke very few words, and only when she was asked or when it was very necessary, for she always listened and attended without interruption to the doings and sayings of the Lord treasuring them up and meditating upon them in her most pure heart. All the words and behavior of this great queen during her life furnish an exquisite example of retirement and modesty, and on this occasion she was an example not only for the religious, but especially for women in their secular state, if they could only keep it before their mind in similar circumstances, such, for instance, as this marriage feast afforded, Thus learning to keep silence, to restrain themselves, compose their interior, and allow no levity or looseness to creep into their exterior deportment. For never is moderation more necessary than in times of danger. And in women, the most precious adornment and the most charming beauty is silence, by which many vices are shut out, and by which all virtues of a chaste and respectable woman receive their crowning grace. This concludes our reading today for day number 217. We've been reading from Volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 1, Paragraphs 322 through 326. In our reading today, we have not yet got to the miracle of Cana. We'll get there tomorrow. But we get a lot of the setup, trying to figure out the exact timeline of everything that we've heard, and trying to make sure that it all makes sense. And again, we're reminded today in our reading that the evangelists do not mention the visit of the Lord to Nazareth, nor the baptism of the Blessed Lady, not because it didn't really happen, but because he and the other writers confine themselves to that which pertains to their purpose. Their purpose is to communicate the story of salvation and the works of Jesus. This was not deemed necessary for our salvation in the eyes of the evangelists. 
but they happened because we heard Maria Vagrida. It would always be very interesting to take up a study of Anne Catherine Emmerich and Maria Vagrida, put them side by side. Does Anne Catherine Emmerich talk about the baptism of Our Lady, his visit back to Nazareth before he commences again his public ministry? What does Anne Catherine Emmerich say about the wedding feast at Cana? The reason why Jesus shows up at this wedding is perhaps because the Lord knows the future, right? And the church is going to have the seven sacraments. And we say that the seven sacraments are outward signs instituted by Christ to give grace. So Christ has to institute the sacrament of marriage. So this is why he's at the wedding feast. Or in the words of Maria of Agreda, he had brought about this invitation, so he accepted it. He betook himself to this wedding in order to sanctify and confirm the state of matrimony, and in order to begin to establish the authenticity of his doctrine by a miracle. So he wants to sanctify the state of matrimony. And then there's that public sign and manifestation that we'll hear about tomorrow. And we heard in our reading today how Christ sanctifies the marriage. On the contrary, our Savior, having exhorted the bridegroom and bride, added a fervent prayer addressed to the Eternal Father, in which he besought him to pour out his blessings upon the institution for the propagation of the human race and the new law, and divest this state with sacramental power to sanctify all those who would receive it worthily in his church. Christ prays this prayer just as the priest prays the prayers at the wedding, or the deacon for that matter, but especially the nuptial blessing is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, sacramentalizing that marriage. One of the things we'll see later on in the workings of Christ and in his teachings, and also in that of John the Baptist, is the disregard for marriage. This happens and John the Baptist is beheaded because of it, because he's defending marriage. Maybe John heard about Christ's presence at the wedding of Cana, and it reaffirmed for him what marriage was. It's also the woman at the well who's been married several times. And so kind of a disregard for that union, but yet Jesus sits with her and talks with her and wants to bring her back into grace and communion with him. Marriage plays an important role all throughout the teaching of Jesus, and it begins here at the wedding feast at Cana. The wedding feast of Cana is also called an epiphany. And we heard Maria of Agreda say that this took place on the same day as the Magi bringing the gifts and as the baptism of Jesus. These are the three epiphanies. Interesting that she puts them as anniversaries. Never would have thought of that, but it kind of makes sense. But something for us to mull over as we celebrate every year, January 6th, or in some countries like the United States, observed on a Sunday in most dioceses. But we get those readings, especially in a sequence, because we have the Epiphany, the manifestation of the star and the Magi. Then we have the baptism of the Lord. And then in year A, I believe, in our liturgical cycle, we read on that third Sunday after the wedding feast at Cana, kind of a head nod to the fact of these three epiphanies. I look forward to tomorrow's reading in which we delve deeper into the miracle, and then we'll hear the instruction of Our Lady.
I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.